0: Children's Church, dismissed at this time. And Children's Choir, follow Pastor Rick out the side door there, please. Children's Church and Cherub Choir, dismiss at this time. Keep your Bibles open, please, to Joshua chapter 5. It's fun to watch their faces. I wish adults had that kind of look on their face when they come to church. <laughs> All right, we're continuing our study in the book of Joshua. And tonight we're going to study probably the most well known stories in the Old Testament the Battle of Jericho. I remember reading about this and hearing about it when I was a kid in Sunday school. And I want to look at it tonight and see what the Bible says about this. And so uh, we're going to begin, and again, chapter 5, verse 13, we'll look at the captain mentioned here. The captain, and it says in verse 5, verse 13, follow along with me again as I read this. It came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? Verse 14. And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face. the earth and did worship and said unto him what saith my Lord unto his servants and the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua loose thy shoe from off thy foot for the place wherein thou standest is holy and Joshua did so Now the question is who is this man who is this captain mentioned here you see he's called the captain of the host of the Lord who is this one and um, I to show you from the Bible this was the Lord himself and so interesting, many times in the Bible when there's a chapter division, the ones who the, uh, human authors who wrote this down made a proper division because it's a change of thought. But I believe here this division here should not be of made. because if you read from chapter uh, 13, chapter five, 13 through 15, and go right to chapter six, verse one, the thought continues on." And so it says in, like again in verse uh, verse 15, it says, "And the captain, of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot for the place wherein thou standest is holy. Joshua did so. Look in chapter 6, verse 1. Now Joshua, excuse me, Jericho, was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. And none went out, none went in. Verse 2. And the Lord said unto Joshua. Now the Lord is the captain. The same one who spoke to him and to loose to his sandals because he walked on the holy ground. So, who's the captain? None other than the Lord himself. And it's evidenced by the threefold response of Joshua. How did Joshua respond when he said, I'm the Lord of the host? Three things he did. First of all, in verse 14, he said, Joshua fell on his what? On his face. He realized who it was standing before him. And when he fell on his face, because he realized this was none other than God himself in human form, he fell on his face. Next thing he did... And he did worship. He fell on his face and did worship. He's not worshiping a normal man. He's worshiping God himself. And then he asked, what saith my my Lord and his servant? The next thing he did is proving the person that appeared to him is the same person who appeared to Moses in the burning bush. In fact, look in verse 15. It says, and the captain of the Lord of hosts said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place wherein thou standest is what? Holy. Hold your finger right here. Go with me now to Exodus chapter 13, please. I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 3. I'm like Pastor Nichols. Exodus chapter 3. The same thing that God told Joshua when he approached him is the same thing God told Moses when Moses sought to approach God. In Exodus chapter 3, look with me, would please. Exodus 3. In fact, let's look in verse 1. We see the context here. This is Moses and saw the burning bush. Exodus 3, verse 1. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father in law, the priest of Midian, and led he led the flock to the backside of the desert, and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. Verse 2, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire, out of the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. Now look in verse 5. See if this doesn't sound familiar. And he said, draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place wherein thou standest is holy ground. The exact same thing he said to Joshua. So we know this was none other than God himself, because Joshua fell on his face. He did worship and heard the same thing said to him and said to Moses, take off your shoes for you're walking on holy ground. So the same person that appeared unto Joshua and claimed to be the captain of the host of the Lord is the same person who appeared unto Moses in the burning bush. This was what the theologians call a theophany. A theophany is a pre-incarnate of the appearance of Christ himself. It was the man who wrestled with Jacob in Genesis 32. It was the one of the three men who appeared unto Abraham who revealed to him the destruction of Sodom in Genesis 18? Is also the fourth man in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that the king saw. Remember, that they t- threw him in the fiery furnace, and the king was astonished. Did not we cast three in, but I see what? Four, and the fourth is like unto the Son of God. This is the same person that appeared unto Moses, and the same person that appeared unto Joshua. So the next question is not only. Who is the captain? None of the Lord himself. What is the host of the Lord? What is the host of the Lord? Look in verse 14 again. He responded by saying, he said, Are you for us or for our adversaries? He said, Nay, but as cu- captain of the host of the Lord. What is that? What is the host of the Lord? Let me tell you up front that I'll show you from scripture. The host of the Lord is the angelic army. The armies of the angels that God is the captain of. In fact, if you would please, one of my favorite stories in the Bible, go with me now to 2 Kings, please. This host of the Lord is the God's angels, and Jesus Christ is the captain of the angelic army. Go to 2 Kings chapter 6, please. 2 Kings chapter 6. It's the army that was sent to protect Elisha. Second Kings chapter 6. This is the host of the Lord that Jesus Christ said, I'm the captain of. Second Kings chapter 6, verse 13, please. In fact, we're going to back up. When you find Second Kings, look up, here, please. Second Kings chapter 6. The king of Syria was trying to attack the Jews, the Israelites. But every time he tried to do something, the Israelites knew ahead of time what their plans were. In fact, the king could not understand. He thought there was a spy among his people. Look what he said in chapter 6 in verse 10. I'm sorry, verse 11. It said, therefore, the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing. What thing? That the Israelites kept knowing what was going on, what their plans were. And he called his servants and said unto them, will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? Who's the spy? Who's the traitor here? There's somebody among us that knows what's going on and sharing with Israelites what our plans are. Verse 12. And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophetess in Israel, telleth the king the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. That was the most private words you have. He knows what they are. And everything you plan to do against Israel, he tells the army of Israel so they can plan accordingly. Now, verse 13. The king was going to try to capture Elisha. In verse 13, And he, the king, said, Go and spy where he is, where Elisha is, that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. Therefore send he thither, Notice here, horses and chariots and a great host. And they came by night and compassed the city about. So this king was in business. He sent a whole army of Syria, completely shrouded the city of Dothan where he was located, he said, I'm going to catch this man, and we're going to finish this once and for all. And then verse 15, and when the servant of the man of God, I'm sorry, verse 14, I read verse 14, he sent it horses shared." verse 15, when the servant of the man of God was risen early, he gone forth, behold, the host, they're talking about the Syrian army, Compasses the city both with horses and chariots, and his servant said unto him, "Alas, my master, how shall we do?" So the the Syrian army surrounded the city by night. Here's the servant of the Lord walks out of the door and finally, after he woke up, and looks around him, and the city is completely surrounded. And he goes and Elisha, "What in the world are we going to do? We're surrounded, and the Syrian army is here to capture us." And I love this. Look with me in verse 16. And he, Elisha, answered, "Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them." Now, <laughs> I can just imagine the, the uh, servant thinking about that. As when he said, and he looked out. He's the one that saw all this Syrian mean, army. No doubt, hundreds, maybe thousands of soldiers surrounded the city. And he goes tells Elisha that we've got a problem here. They're surrounding us. He said, "Don't be afraid. There's more with us than with them." And no doubt, I I can see the servant saying, wait a minute. Can't you count? There's two of us. (laughs) And there's thousands of them. And notice what Elisha said. Verse 17, And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountains were full of horses and chariots, Of fire round about Elisha. Actually, he saw the Lord's host. He saw the Syrian army, then he saw God's army. And therefore, his fears were put to rest. My friend, that's the army that the captain is the host, I mean, the captain of. Next, it's the same. So who is the host of the Lord? It's the same army sent to protect Elisha, but also it's the same host that David referred to when he confronted Goliath. Remember that situation when David confronted Goliath? Let me read it to you in 1 Samuel 17, I believe it on the screen. Then David said to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of what? Host. I come to you in the name of the God of the armies of heaven. The same host. But also, listen, please. We're talking about what is the host of the Lord? It's the same as the legion of angels ready to protect Christ. It's the same as the legion of angels that are ready to protect Christ. In Matthew 26, 53, this is when it says, Thinkest thou that I, cannot, that, uh, that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he shall presently give me more than 12 legions of angels. That's when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and there were, the army was coming, and Christ said, Don't you realize I could call the armies of heaven? And he said, I could call the legions of 12 legions of angels. And by the way, how many uh, soldiers are there in a legion? 6,000. And it said here, 12 legions. So the Lord says, I can call 72,000 angels to come protect me. My friend, that's the host, which Jesus Christ is the captain of. So, who's the host of the Lord? The army is sent to protect Elisha, the same one David referred to confronting Goliath, and the same legion angels ready to protect Christ. Now, let's go back to Joshua, please. Back to Joshua. The next question Who's the captain? Who's the host of the Lord? Whose side is he on? Who's the side? Remember, Joshua asked him in verse 13 of chapter 5 Art thou for us? for our adversaries. I love the answer. And he said, nay. Otherwise, neither. <laughs> as but as the captain of the host, Lord, I am come. Basically, number one, God is not on anyone's side. My friend, God is a Do you understand that? God is not on anyone's side. God is a side. The question is, not is God on our side, but are we on his side? Before the Battle of Gettysburg, President Lincoln was asked, do you hope God is on your side? And he answered, no, I pray that we're on his side. He understood that truth. God is not on anyone's side. He is the side. The question on whose side are you on? When it comes to spiritual battle, the next thing, there is no neutral ground. There is no neutral ground. In Matthew 12, 13, excuse me, And he said, for he that is not with me is against me. He that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. So God is his side, and it comes a spiritual battle. There is no neutral ground, either on God's side or not. He is the captain of the host of the Lord. The host is the angelic army. Whose side is he on? He is his side. Let's pray we're always on his side. That's the captain. Number two. Number two, now look at the city. The city. Go back now to Joshua chapter 6, please. Remember, J- chapter 6, verse 1 just carries on from chapter, um, chapter 5, verse 8, 13, verse 15, excuse me. The thought carries on. Notice it says in what it says there it, first of all, the city of Joshua, Jericho was well fortified. Now we're talking about the, he's going to defeat the city of Jericho. The city was well fortified. If you would, hold your finger here in Joshua chapter 6. Go with me now to Deuteronomy, please. I want you to see the city of Jericho was well fortified. Now I'm going somewhere with all this, so don't let me lose you, if it please. Joshua was standing outside the city. He saw the captain of the host of the Lord. He realized who the captain is. as none other than God himself. The captain of the armies of heaven. Joshua asked him, whose side are you on?" He says, neither. I am a side. Now the city we're going to look at, the city of Jericho. Look in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 28. Now the the context here is the spies, Moses sent into the land, to spy out the land, came back and gave a report to the Jews. And remember, of the 12, 10 came back with an evil report, two come back with a good report. And because the evil report, Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 28, here's how they responded. It said, Whither shall we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying the people, talking about the people in the, in the uh, promised land, which they're going to possess, the people is greater and taller than we. And notice here, and the cities are great and walled up to what? Heaven. So the report of the spies who spied out the land said the people are tall They saw the sons of Anak, but also the cities, the walled up, up to heaven. And so let me share this with you. How about the walls around Jericho? I have two books here that deal with archaeology, and I'd like to read them to you. First of all, this book's called The Biblical World. It's talking about a dictionary of biblical archaeology. And archaeologists have did some excavations on where Jericho was founded. Here's what they said about the walls of Jericho. And um, we live a bit from this book and another one. It says here, the main defenses of Jericho are comprised, talking about the walls, of two parallel walls. The outer wall was six feet thick, and the inner was 12 feet thick. And so that's talking about the wall. They found that by excavations. Two walls parallel to each other with a, a divide between them. The first wall you come to was six feet thick. Then there was a, like a no-man's land, Then they come to the second wall, which is 12 feet thick. That's what Pfeiffer said there in the biblical world. Now, here's one called the Survey Israel's History, Israel's History, excuse me, Leon Wood. Here's what he said. Description of the walls. The walls were a type which made a direct assault practically impossible. An approaching enemy would encounter a stone wall 11 feet high. So the first wall they come to was 6 feet thick, 11 feet high, and backed up with a a slope of 35 degrees. In other words, you came to the first wall, it was 6 feet thick, 11 feet high, and had a slope on it. And it said that they would grease the slope with sometimes oil or some kind of grease, make it slippery. So as the army tried to go up the wall, they couldn't get up there. Then there was like a no man's land between the next wall, and it goes on to say, and the second wall was 35 feet high and 11 feet thick. And so one was, uh, one was 6 feet thick and one was 11 feet thick, 35 feet high. And it goes on to say, the steep, smooth slope prohibited battering the wall by any effective device and building fires to break it. The Army, trying to storm the wall, found a difficulty to climb in the slope, and the ladders to scale it could find no satisfactory footing. In other words, it was practically impossible to uh, defeat the the army to get into the city. And so again, two walls. The first one, 11 feet high, 6 feet deep with a slope on it. As they tried to climb it, they would slip down. And by the way, as they tried to climb it, the next wall was 35 uh, feet high. No doubt there were archers up there. And these men were sliding up and down, up and down. They were shooting them with arrows. So it was impossible to conquer the city through the walls. That was the walls of Jericho, very fortified. Now, go back to Joshua, please. Not only was it well fortified, as the spies said, the walls are great and walled up to heaven. It was also that Jericho was secure and shut and locked up. Jericho was secure and shut and locked up. Look in chapter uh, 6 of Joshua, verse 1. It says, now Jericho was straightly shut up because the children of Israel, none went out and none came in. So remember these two descriptions of the wall. It was well fortified, two walls parallel to each other, and the, and the wall and the city was shut up, secure, and no one went in and went out. However, please listen, even though it was well fortified and shut up, the people of Jericho were terrified. The people of Jericho were terrified. Now, if we'll please back up in Joshua chapter 2, please. This is the report. Remember the two spies that Joshua sent in? They went in Jericho and they stayed where? At Rahab the harlot's house. And while they are there, look at the report Rahab gave to these two spies concerning her people and the, the Israelites. In chapter 2, verse 9, please. Though so they lived in a well, very fortified city, Secure and shut up, they, locked up, they were terrified. Joshua 2, verse 9. And she, Rahab the harlot, said to the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that your, notice here, your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water in the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did unto the two kings, the Amorites, that were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. Verse 11, as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did what? Did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God of heaven above and the earth beneath. Even though they lived in a well fortified city, locked, secure, my friend, they were terrified. They heard what God did with the Jews and terrified them. The hearts melted and had no more courage in them. That's the captain. That's the city. Now look at the conquest. The conquest of the city. Look in chapter 6, verse 2. First of all, notice victory is promised. Victory is promised. In chapter 6, verse 2. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given you, given into thy hand Jericho, and the king thereof, and the mighty men of valor. God told him up front, I've given this city and the people to you. Now Joshua didn't understand how or why it's going to happen. All he knows, God said, I've given them to you. And the king thereof and the mighty men. Next he gives what I call most unusual battle plan. A most unusual battle plan. Look in verse 3, please. He tells Joshua, after he told him, I've given you the city, verse 3 of chapter 6. And ye shall compass the city of all, uh, all your men of war, go round about the city once, thou shalt do it for six days. Verse 4. And seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of, of rams and seven, and the seventh day you shall compass the city seven times, and the priest shall blow the trumpets. Verse 5, And it shall come to pass that when you make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall ascend up every man straight before him. Now, that's what God told him. Now, This probably didn't make sense, humanly speaking. He said, what you need to do, the first day you take your army, and first of all, take the Ark of the Covenant, and they go first, and and the army follows them. You surround the city completely in one day and stop. The second day, the third day, all the way to the seventh day, completely do that. And then on the seventh day, do it how many times? Seven times. Now, listen, please. You know, people do not change, even though they were obeying the Lord. I, I would, wouldn't surprise me some of the Jews say, what in the world are we doing? This doesn't make a bit of sense. I mean, God's going, I want us to conquer the people, and all we're doing is walking around it and shouting. And so even though it may not have made sense to them, and some, no doubt some probably complained about it, I don't know that, but people don't change. They did exactly what God said. And we know the city, the walls did fall flat. So let me give you three important things to notice about this. First of all, the blowing of the trumpets. The blowing of the trumpets. What was significant about blaring trumpets? These trumpets or instruments are called jubilee trumpets, used in connection with Israel's solemn feast to proclaim the presence of God. The conquest of Jericho was not therefore exclusively a military undertaking, but also a religious one. The trumpets declared that the Lord of heaven and earth was present, weaving his invisible way around the doomed city. In other words, God himself, in effect, was saying by the trumpets blowing that he is present. Uh, Do not turn them. Let me read for you Psalm 24, verse 9. This is what the Lord was saying by the sound of the trumpets. He was saying, lift up your heads, O ye gates. Even lift them up, ye everlasting doors. And the king of glory shall come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He's the king of glory. Selah. That's what God was saying by the sound of the trumpets. The next thing I want you to understand, important thing, not only the the instruments themselves, but the number seven. Did you notice the word number seven is mentioned several times? Again in verse four, it said, seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns, And the seventh day, ye shall compass the city seven times. So the Bible, in the Bible, the number seven often symbolizes completeness and perfection. There were seven priests, seven trumpets, seven days, seven circuits around the city. And though God's plan of action may not make sense to man, it was a perfect battle plan. Here's a question for you. What caused the walls to fall? What caused the walls to fall? You know, I find it quite interesting to listen to what liberals say. You know what a liberal scholar is? A liberal is someone, who understands what the Bible says, but doesn't believe what it says. And they try to rationalize, explain a supernatural event and a natural cause. Let me give you some various suggestions why the walls fell at the moment the people shouted. One person said this, an earthquake caused the destruction. When they shouted, earthquake occurred at the same time and the walls fell. A second suggestion, this or soldiers undermined the walls while the others marched. It was why some were marching, some were underneath digging under the walls. <laughs> That's what one liberal scholar said. Another uh, uh, explanation, the vibration set up by the trumpet blast and soldiers shout caused the wall to collapse. Another uh, explanation. Shock waves caused by the marching feet of Israelites were so great that caused the walls to fall. However, when examine this, this was not a natural event. This was a supernatural event. It's clear the fact the walls were destroyed uh, by the, all over. There was one section of the wall that was not destroyed. You know what section it was? Rahab's house. That part remain standing so she might remain safe. But the question is what does the Bible say? What description does God give why the walls fell? Hebrews 1130. Look on the screen please. By faith the walls of Jericho fell after they were compassed about seven days. What do you mean, Pastor? It means though they did not understand why God told them to do what they did, they obeyed. May not understand it, but they did what they said. I remember as a boy, my dad would tell me to do things I didn't understand. And many times I would respond by saying, why, dad? By the way, do your kids ever do that? Why, dad? Why, mom? Sometimes I didn't want to know why. Just trying to convince them I don't have to do it. But my dad, after he heard why several times, hear me tell me. He said, son, it's not your place to ask why. It's just your place to do. And that's what they did here. I don't, don't say anybody asked why, but I'm certain many of them are walking around there. Why why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? But God honored their faith, though they didn't understand why, because it did exactly what God said. And the moment they marched the seventh time and blew the trumpets and shouted, what happened? The walls fell flat. Now, let's conclude with this. I got us a couple of moments. This is a wonderful and fascinating story. But how can we apply this to our lives? That's one of my favorite stories of the Bible. But how can I apply it to my, my life as a Christian? If would please go me out of 1 Samuel 17, and we'll close with this. 1 Samuel 17. When you find that, I can here, please. Here's how we can apply this to us today. 1 Samuel 17. You may not have any literal walls around to get in, but many times we have big things before us. We wonder how God's going to take care of it. And When you find 1 Samuel 17, like, please, let me read you something, and we'll read the verse together, and we'll close tonight. How, uh, how can we apply this to our lives? When we are in the will of God, doing what he wants us to do, where he wants us to be, and we are faced with something too big for us. We must remember in the conflict to overcome it, the battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. Look in 1 Samuel 17. This is David talking to Goliath. No doubt he had something big before him. He knew he could not himself conquer. 1 Samuel 17 verse 46. David said to the Goliath, this day will the Lord deliver thee into my hand, and I will smite thee and take thy head from thee. I will give it to the carcass of the host of the Philistines, this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know there is a God in Israel. And all the assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with a sword or a spear. For, notice here, underline this please. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give it into your hands. That's exactly what happened to Jericho. Jericho fell that all the promised land would know there's a God in Israel, and the Lord's, the battle is the Lord's. So let me close with this. What, is, what are the walls in your life? What issues are you dealing with you see no hope or way to overcome them or no way to have victory over them? Sometimes God puts us in that position. And when you are in the center of God's will doing what he wants you to do, and there's a great wall before you, remember, the battle is the Lord's. You just be obedient to him, do what he says, and watch God work. Let's bow together, please. Tonight we looked at a wonderful story, and we saw three things. We saw the captain, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. We saw the city, fortified, well-walled up, shut, secure. Then we saw the conquest. The conquest that God gave to, Jer- uh, to Joshua didn't make sense in human perspective. Though it didn't make sense, Joshua and the people of Israel did exactly what God said. And we saw the results. The walls fell. So Christian, I asked you, what wall is in your life? You're trying to do what God would have you do and be obedient to him. What wall are you face with? And you say, Pastor, I cannot see any means how to overcome this wall. My friend, remember the battle is the Lord's. Father in heaven, thank you. Many times you lead us to a place where walls we can see no way of overcoming them. And what are you trying to do? You're trying to show yourself strong on our behalf that all the earth, all our friends, all people may know there's a God in Israel and we need to realize this struggle is not ours. The battle is the Lord's. Thank you for being there for us. Thank you for who you are and what you can do in our lives. May our faith always be dependent upon you and your power and strength and not ours. In Christ's name we pray, amen.